Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Colin Gubbins was a most unlikely figure to lead a guerrilla army. He was a dapper little man who wore smooth suede gloves and walked with a silver-topped cane. He was, said one, dark and short, his fingers square, his clothes immaculate, and he had the looks to match the attire. Slight and superbly built, with beetling eyebrows, penetrating eyes and a gravelly voice. But some of his acquaintances were troubled by the sharp glint in his eyes, which seemed to hint at an icy ruthlessness. Quiet-spoken, efficient, energetic and charming. At least that's how he appeared to his secretary, Joan Bright, as she peeked at him from behind the keyboard of her imperial typewriter. He had the air of a perfect gentleman, yet she had a sneaking suspicion on her first day at work that he would prove a gentleman full of surprises. Gubbins was 43 years of age in 1939. He'd fought in the trenches of the First World War and had seen enough horrors to put most men off war for the rest of their lives. But not Gubbins. He was addicted. He had war in his blood and he wanted more. After a brief tour of duty in Murmansk, having a crack at Lenin's Bolsheviks, he offered his services in Ireland. It was to change his life forever. He found himself engaged in running street battles with Michael Collins and his band of Sinn Féin revolutionaries. A nasty, bitter and unpredictable conflict. Gubbins complained to his superiors that being shot at from behind hedges by men in trilbies and mackintoshes and not being allowed to shoot back. But those men in trilbies taught him a lesson he would never forget. Irregular soldiers, armed with nothing but homespun weaponry, could wreak havoc on a regular army. In the spring of 1939, he was asked to join a top-secret outfit whose purpose was to plan a dirty, mischievous and thoroughly ungentlemanly war against Hitler's Nazis. It had been given the name MIR, Military Intelligence Research. The research was into how to fight an effective guerrilla war. Few in the regular army had any experience of ungentlemanly warfare. Gubbins' priority was to prepare an instruction manual in such warfare, setting out in terse prose how best to kill, incapacitate or maim the maximum number of people. My difficulty, he later admitted, was that, strangely enough, there was not a single book to be found in any library in any language which dealt with this subject. Gubbins had to look elsewhere, drawing inspiration from Sinn Féin and T.E. Lawrence of Arabia, as well as from Al Capone and his Chicago gangsters. They'd terrorised America with their audacious hit-and-run raids on nightclubs and their Tommy guns had proved devastatingly effective. Gubbins wanted his band of men to be similarly armed. He felt that the whole art of guerrilla warfare lies in striking the enemy where he least expects it and yet where he's most vulnerable. 
Guerrillas should not think of themselves as soldiers. Rather, they were gangsters working outside the law and their task was to inflict the maximum amount of damage in a short time and then getting away. As he began to prepare his instruction manual, he set down practical advice on everything from strangling sentries with piano wire to contaminating water supplies with deadly toxins. A pint or two of biological agent could wipe out an entire town. A carefully placed explosive could kill hundreds of people. There were also handy tips on such things as how best to destroy factories and ambush trains. It is not sufficient merely to shoot at the train, he said. First derail the train and then shoot down the survivors. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus Trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. He was already eyeing the bigger opportunity, destroying infrastructure so vital to the Nazi war machine that it could wholly change the nature of the conflict. But he also knew that such destruction could only be undertaken by specialists. It would require the services of men outside the military, men who understood how power plants worked and how viaducts were constructed. He needed rule breakers, mavericks and eccentrics with a talent for lateral thinking and a fondness for making mischief. Secretary Joan duly typed up his guerrilla warfare texts on her imperial. He called them the art of guerrilla warfare and the partisan leader's handbook. He'd stressed the importance of agents being able to dispose of the manuals quickly and quietly. Joan therefore took the decision to have them published on pocket-sized edible paper. Both manuals could be consumed in less than two minutes if swallowed with a large glass of water. It was one thing to publish pamphlets about guerrilla warfare, quite another to find guerrillas who'd be prepared to be dropped behind enemy lines. The British Army in 1939 was a volunteer force boosted by conscription. Its men were poorly trained and not suitable for guerrilla fighting. Gubbins took a decidedly eccentric approach when seeking men for his new army. He decided to make use of the old private school network, turning to rugby-hardened alumni from top British schools such as Eton, Harrow and Winchester. In particular, he was keen to enlist school leavers who'd gone on to become polar explorers, mountaineers and oil prospectors, men who knew how to survive in a tough environment. One of his earliest recruits was Peter Wilkinson, a young gentleman officer who'd only recently joined the Royal Fusiliers. Gubbins invited Wilkinson and three other potential recruits to a delicious cold luncheon washed down with Chevalier Montrachet and then finished the meal with wild strawberries. It was not until the coffee arrived 
and cognac was being sluiced into crystal balloons that Gubbins finally explained why the three men had been invited. He told them that if war broke out, as seemed likely, large areas of Europe would be overrun by the Germans, and that in that event there would be scope for guerrilla activity behind German lines. He confessed that he was a member of the secret branch of the war office and that he was looking to build an elite team for training in guerrilla warfare. Their task was to be at the sharp end. They were to be dropped behind enemy lines in order to wreak havoc on Hitler's war machine. Gubbins's three guests listened to what he had to say, drained their cognacs and signed up immediately. They were then whisked back to the secret offices in Caxton Street, London, in order to meet the fledgling team that was slowly being assembled. It marked the beginning of a whole new life, one that promised excitement, comradeship and danger. Over the next four years, Gubbins would plan some of the most audacious guerrilla operations in the history of warfare. His men were trained, given bespoke weaponry and explosives, and dropped behind enemy lines. They blew up power stations and crippled factories vital to Hitler's army. They wrecked crucial harbours, viaducts and bridges. They undertook the assassination of Hitler's favourite, Reinhard Heydrich, the Butcher of Prague. And in their greatest coup of all, they blew up the Norsk Hydro heavy water plant in Norway. In doing so, they deprived Hitler of his only chance of getting his hands on an atomic bomb. Gubbins and his team were known as Churchill's Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. The name was chosen by Churchill himself. It sounded amusing, but its role was not. It was there to subvert the conventions of war, to punch below the belt. On the evening on which it was officially established by Churchill, the 16th of July 1940, he issued the men of the ministry with a rousing call to arms. And now, he said... Set Europe ablaze. Colin Gubbins and his men intended to do just that. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bradison, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.